I am uh, excited to share with us this morning on this first Sunday of Lent, special day in the life of the church and I hope in the lives of us all. And to do so, especially from the, the passage from Luke's fourth gospel, not just a scene, but, but over 40 days of an experience, the wilderness of experience of Jesus that takes place between his baptism and the start of his ministry. And so I want just to invite you to hear these words as I share them. Again, beginning Luke chapter 4, the first verse. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Would you pray with me? A loving God, bring us peace. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, bring us peace in this world, this nation, this state, this community, our denomination, this church, and in these moments especially, God, bring us peace that opens us up to this moment and the work of your Spirit as we consider your holy word. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through me and, if need be, in spite of me so that your word alone would be heard. Amen. I've heard before the short version of what is Lent answered by a self-imposed wilderness. It's not a bad description, actually, but but let's take it apart a little bit. A a self-imposed wilderness, the 40 days of which in the life of the church and the Christian year are modeled on the very 40 days of the wilderness experience that we just read about in Luke's fourth chapter. 
And so perhaps if we might hang tight to that same passage, which opens with the statement that, that Jesus has gone into the wilderness at the leading of the Holy Spirit, then, then maybe self-imposed isn't the best description as we also believe that the Holy Spirit leads us into this special season, this experience of Lent. Officially, if you will, we entered into the season of Lent a few days ago on Ash Wednesday. And there, many of us gathered or drove through in the morning and found ourselves in a moment of worship, of devotion, ashes on our foreheads, inviting reflection on our mortality and God's unique work in and through it. And some of us will engage, or have already begun, I should say, engaging in practices of fasting and of sacrifice. What did you give up for Lent? What did you give up for Lent? That's a fun question, right? Maybe some of us are, are considering opportunities to, to practice new disciplines. But however you are approaching this season, as I was considering preaching on the first Sunday of Lent... I found myself overwhelmed in the days leading up with all of the emotions just wrapped up into it. And so I just want to say, uh, maybe I'm not the only one, but maybe if you were like me when you were here on Wednesday and the ashes were being smeared on your forehead and you were asked to consider that you are dust and to dust you are returned and to consider your mortality, maybe that, that deep and holy thought came to you as well. Haven't I given up enough already? <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're inviting me to consider my mortality? You're asking me to, to, to take a moment? Like, really? <laughs> After two years of, of COVID, you're, you're inviting me to consider my mortality. To, to, to think about uh, uh, as the season, and of course I'm not saying now that COVID's over, because I'm, no, but two years of 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 disruption, of the loss, the sacrifice of comfort and connection, devastating disease and death, of a disruption that is so broad that we are still talking about, longing for, and trying to define the new normal. And we are experiencing the wilderness of war. Not to the degree that many of our siblings in Christ are those who are at this very moment being ravaged by it or perpetrating it but the fear and the anxiety weigh on us as well. Which, and those are the, the two headline news versions, but within this room, within those of you joining us online, are so many other wilderness experiences of, of financial struggles, difficulties in work and school, strained relationships, living with health challenges, political divisiveness, wilderness abounds. And our passage, maybe one of the beautiful things about our passage and also one of the things that really frustrates me about our passage is that it does not offer to us methods on avoiding wilderness, but how to be faithful in the midst of it. And it calls us to that very faithfulness, not, not just because wilderness is hard and unavoidable, because we see Jesus entering into it willingly, entering into it through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And just as he does, as we find ourselves in wilderness, we also find there temptation. 
One of the more unique aspects of this passage, in fact, is the the very literal personification of the devil who comes to Jesus at the end of his 40-day fast in the midst of his wilderness time and he offers three very specific temptations. The personification of the devil, as it happens throughout Scripture in different places and ways, led me thinking about one of my favorite books, one of my absolute favorite books of C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. Yeah, all right. Some of y'all have read it. Amazing. If you haven't read it, I just have two things to say to you. Number one, it is a satirical novel told as letters written from this senior demon screw tape to the junior tempter, his nephew Wormwood, with advice on how to secure the damnation of his charge, known only as the patient. That's one. Two, go read it. That's the second one. It's very, it's so, I mean, it's incredible. But here's the thing. As the as Screwtape writes to Wormwood throughout these, I think there's just over 30 letters, one of the common themes that shows up again and again is the idea of distraction, of pulling the patient, Wormwood's charge, out of the moment to get him to think about anything else but what is right before him. What is happening right then and there? One of, those, uh, one of those letters says this, there is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. The enemy here, of course, being God. He, God, wants humankind to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Or more succinctly, elsewhere he writes, gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. Now this, again, I think this is an absolute brilliant book of Lewis's. Really just, ah, I could go on and on. I won't. That's a squirrel I'm not going to chase this morning. But listen, the idea of being present in the moment is not new, and it's not unique to our faith. In fact, there are lots of really wonderful practices in other traditions and and religions about being present in the moment. And I got to tell you, as someone who has practiced meditation, I'm going to tell you guys, I am not good at it, but meditation, I think, is incredible. I mean, it really is. It's incredible. And some of you I know do meditation. And, And so, again, not a joke. I'm terrible at it, but I've done that sort of intro week on one of the apps on my phone several times. And one of my favorite things about it is that calm, patient, welcoming voice that in those first days says, you're going to have distractions. You're going to think of something that's going to happen or, or needs to happen later in the day or, or what you forgot to do yesterday. And that's going to take you out of the moment. Acknowledge it, set it aside, and go on. I got to tell you, the grace of that invitation to say, hey, that's going to happen. 
He even says, I've been doing this professionally for, I forget how long, but decades, and it still happens to me. It just makes me feel so at peace, and I can set it aside and allow myself to be in that moment. Ram Das is a recently passed yoga guru. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds great. And he wrote a book some time ago, I think the early 70s, called Be Here Now. And here's the thing. I'm just going to ask, anybody read Be Here Now? Okay, good. I see hands up. Yes. In the early service, no one raised their hands. And then some people after came out and said to me, I've read Be Here Now. <laughs> so, right? Thank you for raising hands. That makes me, feel, makes me feel nice. So, but really this beautiful, really incredible, in many ways, exploration of what it means to be here now. What does it mean to be present in this moment, to not let the distractions of what's happening and what's coming, but, but instead to enjoy the beauty, the gifts of this moment, to be here now. Similarly wise, the great Ferris Bueller, who said, more of you would admit to watching that movie than having read Be Here Now, just for the record. Ferris Bueller says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. It's wise words. And those and the others and so many more are, are, are tools. And they are absolutely worthy considerations and practices among, again, so many others. And I want to be clear here. I am not knocking any of those. I think they are wonderful things that we can apply in our lives to respond to the invitation to be present in the moment. As people of faith, though, I think there's something we need to include. One more step, if you will. And that is that not only are we called to be present and aware of the moment, but we are called to live into it faithfully. To, to not simply accept and receive from its beauty, but to, to, to be open to how God is calling us to be present in that moment. And, and let's be clear. Sometimes, sometimes that is going to be just be here now. We call that Sabbath. Or we call that beauty. I, we could go on and on. The pleasure and enjoyment of God's incredible creation. The joy that is important, but that can also be a faithful living in to that moment. One of the other practices I think I want to connect with this is uh, this monastic practice called statio. Statio, in the most literal sense, is the practice of preparing for a moment so you can be fully present. Joan Chittester uh, recently wrote this book, The Monastic Heart. And she writes about her first experience with Statio um, and shares very bluntly that it frustrated her. And this is, this is when I knew I liked Joan Chitester because she said, look, here's the thing. Prayers start at 8.30. That's when the bell rings. That's when we start. Why do I have to be here at 8.25? <laughs> if this starts at 8, I'll be there at 8.30. I might even be there at 8.29 and 55 seconds, but... But don't tell me, if, if, it's, if I have to be here at 8.25, start at 8.25. But see, here's the thing. What she said she came to appreciate was that if 
that time of prayer, that time of communal prayer together, if she really believed that that was an experience that could change her life and could even change the world, then she needed to do more than just walk in at 8.30. She needed to prepare herself to be present, to let go of what was behind and to stop worrying about what was coming and just be so that she could enter into that. Satio is also a uh, means for many that continued experience then of that, of being present in that very moment. Chitester writes, Satio calls you to learn to be where you are. To stop checking the time here so you can get there as quickly as possible and so miss everything that's going on here, right now. It asks you to be present to your own needs and trust the God who will guide you from within. And to me, I think that's, that's the shift. That's the extra layer, if you will, or the added one at least. That we are called as people of faith not simply to be mindful or aware or focused. And again, all good things. But, But in addition to those, we are also called to trust in the presence and the guidance of God. And earlier I said... um, Our passage invites us to be faithful in the midst of wilderness. And I think the addition to that, what I want to say also is that our passage invites us to recognize and live into the promise of God's faithfulness to us in the midst of wilderness. There's another excerpt from uh, the very clever screw tape that I want to share. And here he's continuing to write about the work of moving us out of the moment so that they might achieve their goal. And that goal, that, that state that they want us in other than mindful and aware and faithful, is, he describes as our goal is all of humankind would perpetually be in pursuit of the rainbow's end. Never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. Every real gift offered to us in the present that we, that we would miss if we're unwilling to be in the present. And yes, even in the wilderness, those gifts, the faithfulness of God is present. And our willingness to, as, as Screwtape says, keep them on the altar of the future at the expense of actually receiving them. I think Jesus examples this In our passage as well, not only as he steps willingly into this wilderness experience and dare I say, even perhaps a statio experience as he prepares for the ministry that he would begin immediately after. As Jesus follows the leading of the Holy Spirit and he finds there the wisdom and the grace to respond faithfully to temptation. And let's be clear here. Look, Jesus, who is hungry and alone and finds himself confronted by the devil with temptations of sustenance, of glory, of authority, 
and miraculous intervention. And I gotta tell you, I really think, actually, no, I think he has it kind of easy here. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. Not easy. I can't imagine how hungry I'd be after four hours. No, 40 days. (laughs) But I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm probably not the only one here. That's the one part of this passage that eh, it's hard for me to, to really connect with because it's so far removed from my own experiences. Look, our temptations, they're not this obvious, right? Look, I love Westerns. You guys know that. I always talk about this. Not always. Anyways, look, I love Westerns. And one of the things about them that's, you know, kind of fun is all you got to do is look at the color of the person's hat and you know whose side they're on. You, you just know, you know that their machinations is good or, or it's evil. It's not that simple in the real world. We're in, we're in much more of a gray area. The folks we talk to, maybe not literally, but they're wearing brown hats and we just don't know. But that's not what's happening to Jesus. In this moment, at least, where, where literally the devil comes to him. That's not who comes to us, or at least we don't know it. if that is what's happening to us. For us, it's loved ones who mean well. It's the flow of our ideals that have, we've developed through our families or our political leanings or, I don't know, the temptations that we are tempted with come from pleasure that has become destructive or religion that has been conscripted to rationalize our biases. And what we're tempted with, it's, it's not miracles, it's not world domination, it's, it's the, the smoother path, the easier one. It's the ends, justifying the means. It's opportunities to value success over faithfulness, to compromise where we might have stood firm. It's the temptation to avoid the wilderness. So the question I want to ask myself, all of us this morning, is this. Can we instead be faithfully present? Can we be open not only to our need for God in the wilderness, but to the presence and leading of God in the wilderness, that faithfulness of God that we experience? There's one more lesson from Screwtape that I want to turn to and share with us that he shares with Wormwood. He says this, It is funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. And I think part of what the distraction, the work of evil, the ways that we give in to temptation moves us from keeping things out or moves us to keeping things out of our minds, that part of that is the reliance, the opportunity of reliance and the experience of God's faithfulness that we can have. And so again, I ask, can we, in obedience, in faithfulness, can we hold fast to God's faithfulness to us? Can we keep it close? Can we rely on God's sustaining and the promise of God's grace? I mentioned earlier that one of the challenges that I have felt this year around Lent is the the raw feeling, uh, the lament, haven't I given up enough already? 
It's a feeling of exhaustion, a feeling that I've had wilderness enough. I need to tell you this morning, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that, that feeling. I'm grateful that I find myself a part of this community, the community of Trinity, where I don't feel ashamed for having it or sharing it with you because I know I don't have to face it alone. I'm grateful that I could explore it as a part of our experiences of worship together on Wednesday and elsewhere. And again, this morning, I'm grateful that it was something I could wrestle with as I prepared this sermon, and I'm grateful most of all for God's presence with me in the midst of it. And it feels connected to me, especially as we look to, as we name this passage as the wilderness experience of Jesus, but of course also have to recognize that it it certainly was not the only one he lived through. Lived through faithfully, I might add, but during his life and ministry, there were countless wilderness experiences that he came across. Another that that comes to mind for me this morning was the wilderness experience of the Garden of Gethsemane. On the eve of his trial, his torture, his crucifixion, Jesus found himself in a wilderness time. Though his disciples were near, he found himself alone. Can you not stay awake? And in that moment, genuinely and faithfully present, Jesus prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Haven't I given up enough already? I've been betrayed, dismissed, slandered, denied. Haven't I given up enough already? Yet, not my will, but yours be done. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. It was one week after Russia invaded Ukraine. The world woke up to Ash Wednesday. And and for some, the day passed unnoticed. For others, the lament of being overwhelmed by the reality of wilderness led them to express in one context or another, one language or another, haven't I given up enough already? But some did not. And so I have hope, and hope not just in faith, and not just even in the example of Jesus, but in the courageous and faithful expressions of our own siblings in Christ. Examples, in fact, like this one. This picture here was taken Ash Wednesday in Kiev in a bomb shelter. Haven't I had enough already? Is there any way, God, can you take this cup from me? Yet not my will. Not the will of war or the will of violence or the will of...
My will, God, but yours be done. And now, my friends, that's not just obedience. That's freedom. That is freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit entering into a wilderness moment. Acknowledging that wilderness, yes, it's a part of life, but that doesn't mean that we cannot be faithfully present in the midst of them. That every moment can be one we spend with God. Every moment can be one more in the midst of our journey, not just towards the merciful sacrifice of the cross, but the mighty work of resurrection. The resurrection power of an empty tomb. And the resurrection power that gathers brothers and sisters in Christ together here and now this morning and in bomb shelters on the other side of the world and every place in between, every wilderness in between and finds freedom even there. Thanks be to God. Amen.